Welcome to another edition of the Seed Time Money Podcast. And yes, we kind of changed the name. I just like changing things. And so we kind of changed it to Seed Time Money. So don't be too confused. It's, everything's pretty much the same. We just realized it uh, more accurately reflected what we're talking about. And on today's episode, I'm excited. I get to talk about Amazon and I just really enjoy studying Amazon. They're a fascinating company. Like uh, there really hasn't been a company like it ever. Which is amazing some of the things that they're doing. So today we're talking about some of the lessons learned from Amazon. I'm interviewing this expert on Amazon who kind of studied everything that Jeff Bezos has ever written in his uh, annual shareholder letters. And there's just some fascinating wisdom there. And I just kind of want to tap in and see what they've done. And it should be no surprise, I don't agree with everything Amazon does. And I actually am trying to reduce the amount of money I'm spending over at Amazon. And that's a discussion for another time. But the point is, there's no doubt that there's some things that we can learn from them. So if you are a business owner, if you work for a business, if you want to start a business, I think this might be helpful for you. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Hey guys, I'm excited today because we're going to talk with a good friend of mine, Steve Anderson, and I'll tell you a little bit of our backstory in a second here, but he wrote this book. He, well, basically what he did is he went and read all of Jeff Bezos' annual letters to his shareholders and like dissected them and got all of his riches of wisdom and just distilled these into the key principles that made Amazon successful. I'm fascinated by this and I'm really, you know, I'm a business owner and I'm an entrepreneur and I, I want to learn. I want to learn from what Bezos knows and, you know, and I don't necessarily want to grow a company that big, but I think there's a lot we can learn from somebody that insanely successful. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm bringing Steve Anderson on and he is a professional speaker, writer. He has been in the insurance industry doing a whole bunch of stuff. I'll let him explain for a long, long time. And he calls himself a futurist too, which is really fun. So Steve, thank you for taking a few minutes to uh, chat with us today, brother. Oh, Bob, what a pleasure. It's great to be here. Thanks. So we got connected in 2015 on our scouting trip to decide if we were going to move to Franklin, Tennessee. We actually stayed in Steve's backyard. He had a little cottage house that he was renting. Say it, wasn't, it wasn't a tent, but... <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a tent, I promise. <laughs> but he had a cottage house that he was renting out on Airbnb, and we stayed there, and it was amazing. And if you ever want to come to downtown Franklin, I don't know if you're still renting it, Steve, but it's a great place to stay. Yeah, well, we we sort of do friends and family right now. We we pulled it off Airbnb, but yeah, it's a great little place, and it's just fun being downtown. Oh yeah, absolutely. So sorry everybody, you missed it, but we <laughs> stayed there and we loved it so much that we moved to Franklin. So yeah, there you go. Anyway, all right, Steve, let's get to it because I'm really interested and excited about this. In our community, you know, we generally talk about personal finance, but we have a lot of entrepreneurs and online business owners who don't necessarily want to build a Fortune 500 company, but want to build a successful business. So out of analyzing all these shareholder letters, what kind of takeaways, like just give me one, give me something that kind of stands out to you that's still relevant for small entrepreneurs as well. Probably the one I'd have to point to is one of the principles I have and one of the main ideas with Amazon is obsess over customers. Every business owner knows customers are important, and we have all kinds of words we use about how to engage with customers, customer experience, customer service, customer focus, right? At Amazon, it's obsession. 
And he talks about that a lot through the letters. It's a consistent theme through all 21 years. And from the very first letter, uh, 1997 was when they went public and the letter was released in the spring of 1998, talking about 1997. And he has a whole section there called obsess over customers. Yeah. You know, when you think of the word obsessive, it's not always positive. Sometimes it can be negative or at least perceived as negative, but for Amazon, everything they do to this day is filtered through the lens of, is this better for the customer? And I think that's something that any business owner, actually pretty much anybody can think about and have a takeaway from. Yeah. You know, what they've done is they've built that platform. And I'm convinced one of the reasons that they're so successful is their unrelenting focus on the customer. One of the other phrases he uses a lot in the letters is Amazon invents on behalf of the customer. And so, I mean, I can give you all kinds of examples of how that's worked itself out, but it's, uh, it's one of their core values. Yeah. I mean, one that comes to mind to me was just, and this goes way, maybe a decade or more back was the reviews. Like that was such a bold move. I mean, because they basically invented that, right? They did. Absolutely. I mean, and and again, at the time they were, you know, books were still their biggest thing. They were starting to add other stores there, but books were still their biggest things. And they got huge pushback from the publishers. Yeah. Why would you want somebody to leave a review about a book, especially if they didn't like it. Yeah. Bezos came back and said, because if we prevent somebody from buying a book they aren't going to like, that's a win for us long term. Yeah. And if we can help somebody find a book that they're going to like based on somebody else's review, that's also a win. So it's better for the customer. And he sort of didn't even really care if it was better for the publishers. And, yeah. and, you know, obviously it's a standard practice now, but absolutely you're right. At the time, it was surprising. Yeah. And it's fascinating to think about how that has shaped our society, like mm-hmm. over the last 10 or 15 years. I don't know how long it's been since they implemented that, but everything, every purchase I make now involves some researching reviews to some extent. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know what would have happened because so many other companies have followed suit and websites have popped up following suit. But what would have happened if they never did that? I right. don't know. And it's become stand. I mean, it's it's almost like if you're selling something, you can't have a site selling something without having yeah. reviews there. Yeah. And so, yeah, it has absolutely become standard. That's crazy. And there are multiple examples throughout Amazon's history where they've thought that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even Amazon Marketplace, right? So marketplaces where third-party sellers, independent business owners can access Amazon's website. Well, again, 2001, that was crazy. Why in the world would you let other sellers on your site? And actually, they had a, several failed attempts at doing that uh, before Marketplace kind of took hold and they figured mm-hmm. out how to do it best. Fast forward to 2018, and 58% of all product sales on Amazon come from Marketplace. Yeah. So the other interesting thing about that, as you're saying that, is that 
you know, I, I grew up kind of hating Walmart just because mm-hmm. they're the big machine and, you know, whatever. And now Amazon is kind of that. And I have a little right. bit of disdain for Amazon because they are the big machine now. But it's different because of what you're talking about, because of the marketplace. Like I have a lot of friends who their business exists because of that marketplace. Like they are small business owners who survive on that platform. And so even though Amazon is the machine, they're also making a living possible to probably millions yes, in they the marketplace. Are. Yeah. And I think that's what people miss. And and let me interject here, Bob, because I think your viewpoint is right in terms of a lot of people don't like Amazon. A lot of people don't like Bezos. A lot of people do, obviously, because they continue to be successful. And what's really interesting is they continue to be on the top of the list of most innovative company or the company where most people want to work at and people stay. And so, again, there's kind of this interesting give and take or pulling going on there. And, And I address this in the book, whether you hate Amazon and hate Bezos or love them, there's something to learn. And, and yeah. I think that's yeah. my point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let me say, let me, so we, if we don't get off this subject, for those marketplace sellers, the customer is still the most important thing to Amazon. So as a seller on their platform, if you are not obsessed with their customer, they will cut you off and not think twice. Yeah. So as a seller on the platform, you know, I've heard people complain, right? Or this happened to me, or they did this, or they did that. Yeah. No question. But you have got to have that same single-minded focus to customers, respond quickly, take care of problems, right? All, all of those things that represent what Amazon has built. Yeah. And I think back to tying this up with the original question, for us as entrepreneurs, I Man, I I just so wholeheartedly agree with that, you know, because over my last 11 years or so of being an entrepreneur, that's something I've had to learn because it's something that you can forget, you know, to get your, can get off of the customer. Not that you ever completely forget about it, but other things, you know, there's just a lot to think about as a small business owner and it can shift. And I'm, yeah, I'm just fascinated by that. And I think that, it's just one of the best ways to build a business is to just mm-hmm. be obsessed with solving someone's problem and making their life better. Absolutely. Well, and again, I'll go back to Bezos' phrase, inventing on behalf of the customer. Yeah. Making yeah. things easier, making it smoother. When I talk to people, why do you why do you go on Amazon? It almost always in the conversation is it's just easy. Yep. Well, that's what they've done. Yep. That's good. So digging back into all these letters. And you you basically pulled out 14 principles out of all of these that you kind of wrap up in the book. Right. And um, by the way, whose head is that? <laughs> that is an Adobe Photoshop okay. stock photo. <laughs> it is not his. <laughs> so I didn't think it was his. I know it's not yours. It's not mine. You didn't ask me. <laughs> it could look like mine, but yeah, yeah, it could, um, but could. I, I, um, yeah, uh, I get that actually question quite a bit. Okay. Anyway, I digress. So in your research with all this, um, what what surprised you? Like maybe of these 14 principles, like what were you like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. You know, that's just like super counterintuitive to how most business operate. And the first one you mentioned, I think kind of falls in that category a little bit, but anything else? Yeah, I think a couple things. First of all, I think what surprised me most is the fact that he actually wrote everything that he did. 
it really is his plan for growing Amazon. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that first 1997 letter, which is why we included in the the book, Mm -hmm. is appended to every single letter since. So Hmm. 20 letters. So 98 through 2018, he always ends the letter with, as is my custom, I have attached a copy of the 1997 letter. It's always day one. So there's something in that first letter that he keeps pointing back to. And there were uh, you know, several things there. So that was surprising yeah. that he laid this out. Now, did he have it in mind at first? I don't know. At certainly if slash when I get the chance to meet him, I have do have a couple of questions for him yeah. about yeah. the letters. So what I'm finding is I'm starting to get feedback from people who are reading the book and thinking about is the first principle, which is encourage successful failure. Mm-hmm. He has a, a completely counterintuitive view of failing in business. Yeah. And most business owners run away from risk. And I call Bezos the master of risk because he either, and I think partly intuitively and partly he's learned he has learned how to master risk and has an intuitive understanding that risk is vital for growth. Yeah. And, and that's sort of the core idea that we, I actually started researching when I came across those letters. But this whole idea of successful failure, we don't think about those two going hand in hand, uh, and they do. In fact, the story we tell, and actually there are multiple, I already mentioned Marketplace, That was the third iteration. The first two iterations of what would become Marketplace were utter failures, and they spent millions of dollars developing them. But without developing that, putting it in the market, finding out what worked, what didn't work, they might not have gotten to Marketplace, which is now extremely successful. One of their biggest failures is the Fire Phone. Most people don't remember or never even realize that Amazon released a phone in 2014. I remember. I was yeah. looking at it a lot. <laughs> yeah. It was Bezos' pet project. I mean, that was it was his thing. He thought this was great. This is going to be a you know a great hit. Less than a year later, they wrote off $178 million in inventory Ooh. in one quarter. Wow. So a big failure. In fact, at one point they dropped the price to 99 cents and they still couldn't give them away. <laughs> and there were a couple cool tech features in it, but it wasn't any better than what was out there. And it was really designed to shop on Amazon. Well, I- I'm sorry, my phone does that already. I don't, I don't need a special phone for that. So lots of reasons why. Yeah. So failure. Here's the success though. The group that develops their hardware called, and it's done at what's called Lab 126, that's where the Kindle came out of. That's where the Fire Phone came out of. That's also where the Amazon Echo has come out of. And so yeah. all of that they learned about the phone and voice and right all of those kinds of stuff was able to be translated into the Echo and certainly looks like one of their bigger successes. Yeah. That system right continues to develop. So I think for most businesses, their biggest risk just might be not taking enough risk. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's hard. Well, and especially as you grow, because this is something I've, I've talked to my wife about a lot, this idea of growing as a business, I've noticed this in church. It's like you reach a certain point and you begin to play defense instead oh. of offense. 
And yeah, and you're asking for trouble as soon as you do that, right? Well, and, and the way I phrase that, Bob, is that one of the biggest risks a business faces is being successful. Yeah. Because you start protecting what got you to that success point instead of actually looking at, okay, where do I need to go next? And or how do I kill my success so that I can be more successful doing something else or yep. adding something yep. else? So absolutely agree with you on that one. Yeah. I mean, and I, there's about whatever, three, five big entrepreneurs who everyone come up in every conversation and Elon Musk being the one right now, but I'm just so fascinated that he walked away with this huge paycheck from PayPal. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many millions of dollars it was, but it was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And he, he basically, he put it all on the line to get SpaceX off the ground. And and he had three attempts of that rocket working. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't work on that last one, like he was penniless. Yeah. And the first two failed. And the last one happened to work. And SpaceX has been amazing since. But just the willingness to take everything that he had earned to that point and to risk it all on this thing, like it's just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. And there's a difference between stupid risk and intentional risk. I always try in this conversation to make sure people understand Amazon is intolerant of incompetence. They expect every employee to bring their very best every day. So if someone's making mistakes over and over again, they're gone. So it's not that, but it's also understanding, you know, for Bezos, there's this, this linkage between experimentation, failure, and success. Because he says, if it's an experiment, you have to know that you can fail. If you aren't going to fail, it's not an experiment. And what's fascinating is the last few years, he's been talking about the need for Amazon to have bigger and bigger failures as the size of the company grows, because otherwise they're not moving the needle enough. I mean, honestly, at Amazon right now, a $50 million increase in sales is like, so what? They need the $50 $50 billion or more impact. And they're they're working on things even now that they hope will do that. Yeah, that's interesting thinking about because I've been a Warren Buffett fan and shareholder of Berkshire Hathaway for a long time. And, you know, obviously he has his letters too, yes. which I'm sure Bezos modeled off of the, to some extent that idea. And Warren's been talking about this for years, just about getting to the point where it's really hard to find an investment to move the needle. You know, they're just so big. And I think there are a few like obvious technologies out there right now that I think Bezos has experimented with, like the SpaceX competitor, what is it, Blue something? Blue, or- Blue Origin. Blue Origin, yeah. Yep. And a couple other things, like worldwide internet or whatever, yep. you know, they're all doing. But yeah, it's uh, crazy to think about. Yeah. So in terms of hiring, did mm. Jeff talk anything about that in any of those letters? A lot, actually. Give me some insight. Yeah. So a couple of the principles, um, the 14 principles I've broken down into four, what I call cycles or categories, test, build, accelerate, and scale. And they mirror kind of a business life cycle. I think every business is in different parts of the cycles at various times. The scale, how to get big, was really intriguing to me because I had the question, How does Amazon grow from literally Jeff on his hands and knees packing books 
to five people, to 50 people, to a thousand people, to right now, a little over 650,000 employees worldwide. How do they do that and maintain really two things? One is culture and two is standards. One of the principles is focus on high standards. And, And here's an interesting story kind of around that. So in actually 1998, he talks about hiring and he talks about here are some of the questions that I encourage people to ask potential employees when they're in the hiring process. He talks about there and he talks about culture and maintaining that a number of places throughout the letters. I had the opportunity, can't remember now, it was earlier this year or late last year when Amazon came in, right? So HQ2, their new headquarters, they announced New York, outside Crystal City, Virginia, outside Washington, D.C. And then kind of that side announcement was 5,000 new jobs in Nashville at their Center for Excellence for Transportation. And so as they were starting their recruiting efforts, they had they took over the Ryman Auditorium and I got invited. A huge event. They bust college kids in from campuses all around Middle Tennessee just to introduce them. We're coming. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're about. Fun show. Some big, big name music star came up the end and played, yeah. you know, a three song set. And But they had an open Q&A toward the end. And they had brought a bunch of different people on stage just to interview different areas of what they do and what potentially were jobs available to people. And they had an open Q&A. And one of the questions was, Amazon has a reputation of being a hard place to work. How would you respond to that? And senior VP, David Clark, been with Amazon 20 plus years on stage answering these questions. And he looked out and said, it is. And sort of paused. You know, not the ex- typically not the reaction you would expect. And he said, we're doing something important. And we come to work every day thinking about the customers, and that's important. Yeah. Now, here's what's interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to then Bezos' 1997 letter, his very first letter. One of the paragraphs in that letter, he's talking about we're doing important things, and he's talking about high standards and how we need to maintain that. And he has this interesting phrase that he says, we're doing things we can tell our grandchildren about. We're building things we can tell our grandchildren about. Well, his, his kids were young. He didn't even have grandchildren yet. And he's already thinking about how do we get a group of people who are focused on doing something important? And so maintaining high standards is, is a really important piece. And it takes real diligence and work over a long period of time. Yeah. And that's one thing that you can probably confirm this, that throughout everything he does, he always just has this long view to almost every decision that he makes. Like he doesn't make short term decisions. He's not thinking one or two, five years. Am I right? Absolutely. And actually that's a principle in the build area. It's called apply long-term thinking. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. See, there you go. And he does that again, very counterintuitively. 1997 letter, he basically said to Wall Street, we will make decisions that are in the long-term interest of the shareholders and not quarterly profits, and which they did. I mean, you think about how long they went without, quote, making any money because they poured everything back into infrastructure, fulfillment centers, adding more stores, because he had this, again, intuitive understanding that the internet was about scale. 
And so the faster they could get to scale, the lower prices could be, the more people would come to the site. The, I mean, it, it was an interesting system there, but the long-term thinking is really, you're right, it's really interesting. And so one story that I found to illustrate that is the 10,000-year clock. Okay, tell me more. I, I won't give you the whole background, but Bezos funded and is being built in West Texas on his property a clock that is designed to run for 10,000 years. So every second is one year. Every hour is 100 years. The cuckoo comes out every 1,000 years. And the clock is designed for 10,000 years. Huh. Is it a project with somebody who has more money than he knows what to do with? Maybe partly. But I think it more illustrates, as you just said, he's thinking multi-generational. Yeah. One of the questions is, are you being a good ancestor? Meaning, what are you doing today to build out? And I think that's one of the interesting differences between Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. They both are going to space. I believe Bezos' reasons are much different. He's yeah. not trying to win a race. He literally is trying to build the infrastructure that allows people, entrepreneurs, somebody with an idea to be able to get to space and do something with it. Yeah. As, as he says, when he started Amazon, the infrastructure was in place. Internet was already there. UPS, postal service could deliver packages. Credit cards were already in place that people could pay online. He could start Amazon because he didn't have to build the infrastructure. Yeah. Today, you cannot build a space company in your Harvard College dorm room like Zuckerberg did. Mm -hmm. So he wants to build the infrastructure around space and get the cost down that it's reasonable. And it's going to be multi-generational in his mind. So that, again, yeah. very different way of looking at long term. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I just love it. And it's so hard to do in our world today. It is. We're, all we're, the distractions, you know, instant notifications, and uh, I mean quarterly earnings with Wall Street. And if you don't hit your quarterly earnings, your stocks, you know, hit. Yeah. Right, all those short-term thinking versus. It's not that we don't pay attention to that, but what's going on out here? In fact, interesting. When Bezos is saying this in an interview, he says, "You know, when people congratulate me on a good quarter." Like, you know, great quarter for Amazon. He's like, yeah, that was baked three to five years ago. Yeah. I'm now I'm now working on the quarter for, you know, three years from now. And so, again, in his mindset, that's very different. Yeah, I love that. Do you know how much of the company does he own? The last number I looked at was, I think, 16 or 18 percent. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, and even majority stockholder, a little bit that changed a little bit with the divorce and some of that. Yeah. But what's interesting, even about the divorce, you know, I was disappointed, that, you know, but anyway, that's a whole nother story. But McKinsey, his wife, his former wife now, got part of the stock, but she didn't take all 50% that was due based on, you know, a, a divorce. And he has voting rights of her stock. So he wouldn't lose control of Amazon and being able to continue to do what he thinks is best. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's one of the terrible things about so many publicly traded companies is they're just a slave to the stockholders and right. 
we got to get earnings up this quarter. Therefore, we're going to do stupid things in the long term in order to make right. a little money. This, make, it, make, know, a, just, make it look good this quarter. Yeah. And which is, you know, everybody understands they're talking about. It's like right. long-term thinking pays off. Well, and again, I think he has a very different view of stock pricing uh, and stock, you know, amount. And, you know, if it goes, drops down, I, you know what? I don't think he actually cares. He says, I tell my employees all the time, if the stock goes up 30%, that doesn't mean you're 30% smarter. Because if yeah. the stock goes down 30%, that means you're 30% stupider. He said, the stock price is a long-term voting mechanism, mm-hmm. not a short-term yeah. reward or punishment. Yeah. That sounds very Buffett-ish. Yes. Well, um, I, I agree with you. I, I I don't know for sure he patterned it, uh, his letters off Buffett, but I have no doubt this there was some some thought process going on in terms of how he does that. Well, they've never split the stock either, have they? No. That's, yeah, that's very Buffett. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you know. that's, that's how, what's the stock price up to now? Yeah, Something. I, at last, I knew it was 140000 or something yeah, a share. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know what it is now. Okay, so the book, you got a whole bunch of bonuses for people who buy it through a certain website. Is that correct? Correct. We have a number of things, downloadable bonuses that, that you can get. The website is thebezosletters.com. Okay. And either click on bonus or slash bonus, uh, and you can access those bonuses. Those will be available for a little while now. We were looking for something to be able to help people go a bit more into the book and I think the book's a fun read. We've got some great stories in there. The feedback we're getting is just really great. Uh, we even, uh, Bob, from the publishing side, had a had a really great review in Publishers Weekly uh, oh, awesome. about the book. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, we're thrilled. Karen, my wife, helped me with that. That's a whole story there. But the real measure will be how it helps business owners grow, yep. you know, for yep. me and us. And so that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, I appreciate you we taking really some time out of your day you. to share all this. It's always good to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. And, um, yeah. We'll have to do it again sometime. That sounds great. Appreciate it, Bob. Thanks so much. Thanks, Steve. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if we're not connected over on Instagram, find us over there. We're at Seed Time and we'd love to be friends. Uh, we're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. We're actually having a lot of giveaways lately. And um, so, yeah, I'd love for you to be a part of it and hopefully win something really fun. So, That's all for today. Be blessed to be blessing and we'll see you next time.